Tero, Tero, all right. Welcome to your creativity, the podcast that keeps doing something. Yep, and th- this time we were trying to decide who was going to start, so we were just... Yeah, I mean, we could have kept the silence going for, like, a long time. Yep. Sasha would have just edited out. Yeah, you Sasha know? would just edit whatever he doesn't like. Usually it's me. Or me. He'll just edit me out. But we are here today with Madison Can-Can. It's true. Hello, here I am. <laughs> that was, like, really excite- exciting. But you you just explained to me... Okay, it's 3 p.m., and this is nap time for you. Usually, yes. Because? Multiple reasons. I taught school for years and years, so 3 o'clock was when all the kids would go home and I would crash, and then outside of that, I would have to sleep before my nighttime gigs because I'm a, I'm a two-person kind of gal. I was a teacher by day and a stripper by night, and I just kept stripping and left that the teacher sense. behind. I mean, well, and 3 o'clock is a good nap time, too. It's great. Siesta. Yeah, it's totally a good siesta. So it's great. That's when I fall asleep in my office chair at home is three o'clock, three o'clock hour. Usually this is about when I show up to work. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been sleeping all day. Well, Dylan, so what's new? What's new with me? Well, I might be taking a job with a past uh, podcast guest. Nice. But should I say who it is? Are you going to uh, sing with the Osmonds? Yes. I'm, That's what I'm you're Osmond gonna... last generation. Okay. <laughs> that could be fun. That could be fun. It will all end with me. No, it's with uh, uh, Keenan, who runs Balloon Artisan. So Very cool. I, I've been working for him with while being the balloon popper, the party crasher, which has been fun. But some other positions opened up, and he, we're in conversation. You could be a balloon popper. I could be a balloon popper. Yeah, I'm uh, slightly allergic to latex. Actually, Wait, serious? Don't ask me how I figured that out. I bet you know. That was fun. Um, how would he know? For which party? <laughs> <laughs> Benadryl. But that's all. You, that's all you need to know. It's just Benadryl. False. All right. Doesn't work for that kind of allergy, darling. Well, sorry about that. I learn something new every day. <laughs> Dylan doesn't know where to go from this. No. I'm sorry. I make it awkward right away. But or real. No, right? you make it real. and That's the best thing to do. Okay, and awkward. you've blown up, but I've known you since. Well, FearCon 2016? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, if it's four years ago. Yeah, 16. But that's where I met you, and you were puppeteering. I was, yes. I was a baby puppeteer back then, baby clown, all the things. Yeah, you and you had like you had like a ton of different like puppets. And you still do that. How many puppets do you have total? I've lost count, and it depends on the kind of puppets cuz I have, you know, hand puppets and then I have wide mouth puppets and then I have stick puppets and then I have puppets that I'm inside of. I have parade puppets, I have puppets that live on my head like in a hat. Depends on what kind of puppets we're talking about. Altogether, over a hundred or more, I would say. Holy crap. And, okay, did you make them all? A lot of them, yeah. Not all of them. A lot of them were made um, completely from scratch, but then some of them were made from, like, old stuffed animals at the DI or old dolls that I found random places, or a lot of them were gifts, too. Do you sleep in the same room as them? Do they all stare at you when you're sleeping? 
You know what? Actually, that's funny. I only have one puppet in my room. The rest of them are hanging up around the house or in my uh, workshop. The one puppet in my room is a really, really, really well-made um, wooden clown oh, cool. that I got from England. And he's the only one that I hang out with in my room. Because he comes alive at night. Well, obviously. And he sings me love songs on his mini ukulele that I made for him. Yes. He, serious? Seriously. And in he can play dreams. the mini ukulele. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty talented. That's He's very awesome. sweet, actually. What's his name? I don't have a name for him. I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> He's nameless for now. He should be Steve, because no offense, like, <laughs> st- like Steves are pretty sweet. Are they sweet? Well, some of them are. Yeah. But if he's an asshole, you could also still call him Steve. <laughs> the name's fitting for both. <laughs> sweet, asshole. It, either way, it, it covers both. It goes opposites. So I've in my research of you, you said clowning is your foundation. Can my I, foundation, can, yeah. Can I kind of explain that. Well, it's interesting because clowning in infiltrates every art form that I do, and the reason I found clowning was it was a slow, slow progression. Actually, I met Celeste, who you know, and Celeste inspired Celeste me. Yeah, for people in the know. Yeah, or Gypsy Moonshine, if you know her by her alias, but she was performing with a band called Wanagani at the time, and it, she was the first real clown, quote, that I had ever met and had a conversation with. And from there, that was like the first touch of interest, and then I got divorced slightly thereafter. And when I got divorced, there was really nothing left. I was a completely shattered person, and I just happened to have this deep desire to go into clowning. So I applied to How clown old you school. About then? I was 25. I was 25. So just the other day. Just the other day. It was like a year ago. <laughs> right? And I applied to clown school, got a scholarship, which was the only reason I could make it, and then went out there, learned, came back, collaborated with Celeste, and just kept doing the thing. Just kept clowning. And on top of clowning, when I came home, I found burlesque as well. So clowning and burlesque really came in around the same time, but clowning was definitely the foundation of everything. So what, well, I guess we didn't cover what clowning was. It's Oh, it's a lot. <laughs> this, that, <laughs> if we're going to cover what clowning is, it'll yeah. take the next 10 years. Clowning is extremely extensive. Oh, the Cliff Notes. The Cliff Give Notes version. Cliff notes, yeah. um, clowning can be anything from physical theater, mime, comedia, puppetry, mask work, um, embodiment, theater practices, games. Um, Were you always interested in theater? Like oh, yeah. Up? Yeah, I was a theater kid for sure. And I taught theater for years and years, and I'd always had a, a, a bent towards the comedic aspects of uh, theater because I always believed that comedy and tragedy were really the same thing turned in, inside out. So I had a lot of tragedy in my life, and a lot of clowns do, actually. The majority of us have quite a bit of tragedy, and we just flip it and reverse it. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to say that. Flip it and reverse it. Mm-hmm. Turn the frown upside down. As, as, as it were, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, my particular style of clowning is very immersive. So I'll interact with people. I'll invite them into my games. I'll give them props. They'll play theatrical, like, improv games in the middle of a party or, like, 
in the middle of a rave or wherever I happen to be, uh, wherever I'm hired to clown, I just always invite people in as opposed to keeping them on the outside as an audience. I, they are part of the show, which is what's led me to my immersive work and my theater work and my political activism and stuff like that. Do you remember your first major gig? Um, my first clowning gig, yeah. It was with uh, the Salt Lake Steam Fest. And my friend desperately needed entertainers, the coordinator of the festival, and desperately needed somebody. And I was like, well, I can get you fire, and then I guess I'll be a mime. I guess that's what I'll do for you. And I did puppetry and ran around with props and mimed and didn't talk the whole day, and people were very impressed. And then I just kept getting work after that. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and you're quite busy now. You're at... Uh Prohibition, mm-hmm. and you're part of uh, Viva La Diva. Uh huh. But you're, you're um, the you play the male parts in Viva La Diva. I which, do, yeah. Which I'm is, is fun to see because you, you know, you. No, there's male entertainers and male divas. You gotta work them in. Like you're Freddie Mercury. Yes, is awesome. Thank you. He is. He is. Um, did Jason approach you or did... Uh yes, actually. Jason and David messaged me and they were like, we want, want to try on for size for Prince and Freddie Mercury. And I tried out and just got instantly booked, essentially. They were like, we'll get back to you in a week. And then I was like, okay. And then in a week, they're like, you're coming in, you're doing Freddie. We're going to get you going, get you costumed. And yeah, it's been an adventure from there. Drag has really taken over my life. Because it was so much burlesque, right? So much clowning, so much burlesque, so much clowning, so much burlesque. Emceeing all the time. I was at the Prohibition three to four nights a week for over a year, it felt like. And then um, drag really gave me a nice break from that. Because burlesque is a lot. Being um, a girl is a lot. So when I got to be a guy, you know, the queens would always make fun of me that my face was done so much earlier than them. I'm like, well, yeah, I don't have to do eyelashes overdraw my lips you know the whole i mean it's still it's still difficult but it doesn't it doesn't take nearly as long um because and that's like real life right it doesn't take nearly as long to be a dude as it does to be the the uh, society's version of a girl or what's acceptable in society put on shoes and we're and you're good right girls have like dresses and shaving their legs and makeup and shoes and hair and you Jewelry and it's I want to go nightmare. down that rabbit hole. Yeah, let's go down so, it. Okay, so you are very good um, representing like women and representing mm. the different roles. What started that? And like, <gasps> um, I mean, just expand on that a little bit. Yeah, so that's really interesting. My exploration into burlesque has been a big adventure because burlesque has always been one of those art forms that's really inclusive. But it's also been heavily commercialized. So when anything inclusive or underground becomes commercialized, all of a sudden it becomes um, exclusionary again because it's trying to make money. So what happened with burlesque and me is I'm short, I'm curvy, I'm not necessarily the hottest thing on the planet, and I didn't want to be. So instead of trying to cater to the ideal feminine look, I did clowns. Early in my burlesque career, I just did a ton of burlesque clowns, and people were very weirded out at first. And when I would play at the Prohibition, 
and wear my white face or come in with my red nose or do these skits and these bits or, you know, create a character from another time. I would MC as Betty Boop and people literally did not know what to do with me. It was this adventure into like, like seeing what the audience could handle and then also trying to break the reality so they could handle more. So it's this really like gentle pull with the audience to let them know that they're safe enough to explore these things and that just because I'm not a hot girl doesn't mean that I'm not sexy. And that's always the conversation after I'm done doing my, my shows is I had no idea that I would be turned on by that. I had no idea that I would find that sexy. You've completely like, like quote, broken me. And that's kind of the goal is to just kind of shatter reality for a minute because the feminine is so hyper controlled that in order to shatter it, we really, really have to shatter it. And I'm very good at it. And okay. So, and as far as shattering it, how do you feel that things have changed in the last, I don't know, year, five years and where do you see it going? Like in the future? Yeah. Well, for me personally, I've really gotten out of the mold of what, um, of burlesque's expectations. Because I, you know, burlesque as a commercialized art form. Not burlesque at its heart. Burlesque at its heart is wonderful, weird, fun. political, fun, strange, all of that. But the commercialization of burlesque, the over, like, corseted, beautiful, high-heeled version of burlesque, I've really gotten away from. And I see more of a, um, a diversion from what is called classic burlesque, which is like corsets, G-strings, pasties, beautiful hair, beautiful girls. We're moving away from classic into neo-burlesque, which is actually more like the original form of burlesque that was created in Europe. So it's this really weird thing where we've jumped, right? Where we've had this, like, what burlesque was, then it got commercialized, became something it wasn't, and now it's neo-burlesque, that actually is more true to the original art form. And that's what we're moving towards these days. Uh, more and more burlesquers are being given microphones, specifically female-bodied burlesquers, which is really beautiful to see because the majority of MCs have been male. And for me, that's not okay. So whenever I have a chance to have a microphone, I'm always very grateful and I'm always very like, like let people know do you know what this is called? Do you know what it means for a female-bodied individual to have a microphone in this time at this place doing what I do? You give a naked lady a microphone, this is an act of resistance. This is a political act to give me a microphone instead of hand it off to men all the time. And that's just, that's just reality um, like in, what I in like my about, world. I love that how... Um, you're being that for so many women coming up mm -hmm. um, and being like role models for yeah. them because I agree. I don't think there's it historically has not been as great. And I think that that's what's so cool about what you're doing when you were growing up, who inspired you or well, were there any women role models that like you just, you want to aspire to be. It's interesting because growing up as a Mormon, it's women are quiet. Women don't have seats of power in the church and they're subservient to their husbands. Now, my mother was not that way, but she was subservient to her bosses. She worked in a, a doctor's office. Most of the doctors were male and anything they said went, even things that weren't necessarily okay. So my mother was incredibly subservient to males and to the point of um, really hurting her in a lot of ways. And 
my my grandmother is an interesting person because I look to her, my, my father's mother, I look to her to as inspiration because at a time when women did not work out of the home, she had five children. She was a full-time school teacher and her husband didn't work at all. And this is 1950s Mormon rural Utah. So I look at her as a really strong voice um, and she's always been very social and very out there, but she would not condone anything I do. So it's one of those things where, yes, my grandmother inspired me to be loud and to be proud, but it's completely opposite to everything I was raised with, completely different than anything she would be able to say. Because um, even with the amount of voice she does have, she's still subservient to r her religion. So I grew up with women who had a voice, but tailored it to whatever environment they were in. Um, strong women, but didn't actually like say anything that they wanted to say. So what I had to look to and what I had to find was just really seated within myself because there's a lot of strong female role models out there, but there's not a lot of strong ex-Mormon living in Utah, naked women on a microphone. So it's a very specific demographic. And this is what I tell people when I travel out of state is you've got umbrellas that we sit under right? And Utah is a giant umbrella. Ex-Mormon is an umbrella. All of that trauma that happens with that is an umbrella. And then being seen as just a naked lady is another umbrella. So who I, who I really look to as far as like my inspirations are is being different than what my ancestors were and understanding how necessary. I am not always comfortable on a microphone and I didn't ask for it. It was given to me. And then once I had it, I couldn't get enough of it. And it was just, it, I couldn't, I couldn't stop talking once I had it because it became, it became political activism. Yeah. Which I love just because I think that empowering women, especially like the, the clientele, our customers that come into my shop, you know, the little girls, the teenage girls that are like now being told that they can do whatever the hell they want with mm -hmm, their life mm -hmm. is awesome to me. And like, I love seeing their leadership and their, their way of running society and just running life. Like, that's what I think is so cool about the work that you're doing. It's awesome. Well, if someone doesn't pave the way, you have to. You know, the, uh, the, the woman that really paved the way for burlesque was Rochelle, Miss Brawling Beauty. So she did so much groundwork here in the state of Utah. Um, and she did MC a lot of shows. But um, she, as I was getting into it, she moved away. So then, like, the groundwork was done, but there, you there know. There wasn't anybody there to do to it. To fill the hole, right? So that became one of my jobs was to fill that hole. It's a lot. It's a lot, you know, and there's more and more women on microphones in the city, which is great. Um, but there can't, I don't think there can ever be enough. I feel like equality is still far away, even though we're all striving towards it. And I feel that the biggest um, barrier to equality is everyone's lack of voice. And that's just, that's not male or female. That's just like everyone's lack of voice and also a lack of empathy for human experience because there's a lot of, I just finished the vagina monologue, so it's fresh in my mind, but there's a lot of really good men out there, a lot of really, really strong good men that could use their platforms, could use their voices for good, and they don't. 
And it's just like silence is a type of support. Okay, this blew me away. So I was reading an article about Kobe Bryant. And, mm -hmm. and th so the WNBA has had a new commissioner. It, it, she's been in like her position about six months. Um, the only NBA player to reach out to her was him. Mm -hmm. And he went to her office and sat down and started talking about how important women's sports were and how important, like what he could learn from her to even teach like his daughters and these other teammates. But I kind of, we're lacking a lot of those people. Mm -hmm. And and what's funny is not many people knew that he did that because he wasn't vocal enough yet um, right. to do it. So I agree. Like we need more people that represent right. anybody. I mean, equality, but especially women and trying to reach out and showing that there's no stigma, that there's no, that the stereotypes are wrong. That you Completely. That, you know, we are all equal and we should be all equal. And so. that's like, again, back to the drag question that you asked me earlier. That's what drag has taught me as well, is being um, interpreted as a man. Many people don't know what drag kings are. They don't get it. So I am seen as a man or a trans individual constantly. And when they're like, Wait, you have you have hips. That's very confusing. I thought you were a boy. And because I'm the only drag king in the show and they have boys play boys in the show, it's this very bizarre thing where I'm this anomaly. And once they realize what I actually am, they don't know how to interpret me anymore. And it's, you know, gender is highly constructed and the interpretations of gender are highly constructed. And again, drag is drag kinging is just another way for me to break people's brains. Because once they hear my voice, they're like, "Girl, <laughs> mind, and a boy, mind blown, mind blown." Yeah, I had, especially as Freddie, people just do not do not get that I am a female inside there. Wow. And it's a it's a channeling as well, a channeling of like what masculine traits are. And because I can channel both feminine traits, masculine traits, it's really fun to play with. It's this really like intense um mind I don't know if I can say You can say mind fuck. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if yeah, I can say can mind swear. fuck. Like it's an it's a super intense mind fuck. Um, and I love doing that because if I can just break into them a little bit, then they can be more open to the possibility that these things we believe, these things that are constructed can be dismantled. And that's the educator in me. That's why I teach. This is how I teach is through my body, through my work, through my voice too, actually. That's awesome. Where, what, what's next for you? Oh my God. So many things. Yeah, what haven't you done yet? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, it's, seriously, you, you're a singer. Mm -hmm. you, you act. You yes. do everything. I yeah. do. I, you know, now it's just, it's, it's realizing what I really want in this world is what I'm, is what I'm working on. And so it's been this, this last six months, I've been the busiest I've ever been. I've had more work. I've had more success. I've traveled. I've got my master's in education, signed, sealed, delivered. I've done everything that I set out to do, and I did it well, but there was a lot of loss along the way. I lost a partner, nearly lost my father, lost a lot of connections, lost a lot of friends just because of the career. So now that the dust is settling on all of that, what I'm focusing on is where 
where I want to go with all of this stuff. I've dedicated so much of my life to my work, but there's not like a lot of balance. So I'm working on balance. And part of that is saying no to things. (laughs) So I'm not going to be as seen as I usually am. And I'm not going to work as hard. I'm scheduling tons of time off. um, And I'm making enough money now that I can do that for the first time in my life, which is amazing. Um, And, after I quit teaching school, I was so worried, right? Because that was my career. But I have never made more money, like, as I have being an artist. It's just real. And so now I can take time off. I can start focusing back on me. And what I really want to move into is not just, like, drag shows and not just burlesque shows, which are wonderful and have created this base of, like, expertise. But I want to move into theater, immersive shows, more like where I direct, produce, and create all of the content. And I have three currently that I'm working on. And I want to collaborate with more theater companies. I want to be on their staffs. If I could work with dancers to create um, conceptual work within a theater setting, that would be great. So it's moving into theatric, the theater as opposed <laughs> to uh, bars. But I'll always bring my work into bars too. It's not, it's, I don't believe for a second that any any stage is higher than any other. If you have a stage on the street, that's just as good as a stage on Broadway, in my very humble opinion. Um, I don't believe that any kind of human expression should be leveled in or higher, as like far in a as hierarchy. Yeah, yeah I believe the, it's all important. And on the street, you can bring in people that wouldn't have seen it otherwise. Access, and that's what I'm all about too, is it's like access, 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 access. And that's a whole nother conversation about how we can create access for those who don't have it. Um, specifically, like, young, old, poor, rich, however, you know, outreach and access. And Steamfest and the other festival, I, I think, are really good to exposing this type of art. I haven't attended either, but I'm going to make a... Go out to more t- festivals. Always go to more festivals. Festivals are amazing. Like Hello. the chocolate festival. Hey. <laughs> I don't know what festivals. Shameless plug. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'll create a I chocolate. Let's it. create a new chocolate festival. Yes. I think it would go over well. It, the, yeah. My festival consists of me like laying on the like bench just covered with melted chocolate <laughs> that I've just been devouring ah. all day. That's my chocolate festival. <laughs> it's probably not a moneymaker, but, but it has potential. It is Thursday. I could see it. So. <laughs> right. Come on. Down. <laughs> oh, my gosh. When you're developing things, what kind of situations are the most creative for you? You know, I've had these conversations with a lot of people like. It used to be, like, uh, conceptually, they would come in color and animals. For whatever reason, I would have this download of, like, I need to create an orange act. Don't know why. And then the animal or the character would come in, and then the song would come in. For instance, my last act I created was uh, for a yellow party. And they're like, just do something yellow. I said, okay, I'll do something yellow. I created an act about a uh, drag king bumblebee, who was uh, had a ukulele and was singing to a sad flower, and it was to the song "Yellow" by Coldplay. Cause hello, 
And it's so yellow. It's yellow. So those, the bumblebee is singing to the sad flower. And at the end, like after he realizes like the singing's not working, nothing's working. This flower is not happy. He reaches out and touches the flower. And I do this move where the flower sits up and then is all of a sudden happy because like you've touched the flower and that's what bees have to do, right? They have to interact with the flower. They can't just buzz they around. They can't just it. sing. Yep. They have to actually have, they have to have contact. So that was the last act, but it came in through the, just the yellow and then it just all trickled in from there. Um, with my, per, like my one person shows, it's a little bit different. Usually it's something I'm frustrated with or some, and it'll just like fall out of my mouth. So when I, uh, when I broke up with my partner, I just was really upset, so upset. And the greatest art comes from just being really upset, I promise. And I wrote a whole story about uh, love and grief and how they're just the same thing. And they're trying to like get to each other and talk to each other, but they're not understanding each other and there's no way to get through and they're speaking the same language, but they're not. And they're just at a coffee shop. So the whole play is done in a coffee shop and they're just... Love doesn't get grief. Grief doesn't get love, but they're the exact same thing. Um, and that just came in from my breakup. And then this Friday, tomorrow, I'm going to be doing debuting a one-person show called An Interview with Eve, which is about my frustration with the creation story and the apple and how Eve was blamed for the fall. And she's going to be able to speak from her point of view. So I'm Eve. And Eve comes out, and the audience is responsible for asking questions. It's a totally immersive oh, wow. improv show. I don't have it scripted, so they have to, That's you know, awesome. they have to give me, and I act like Eve, right? <laughs> At first, she's very happy because she's in the garden, and she doesn't know any better. There's no evil here. And then mid-show, about halfway through, um, music plays, and then there's an interaction with a snake puppet that I plant in the audience. So the snake puppet comes up, and we have a talk. I eat the apple, and then all of a sudden, I'm woke, right? And I become this angry motherfucking feminist. <laughs> and I'm like, what? You fucked up the world. You blame it on me? It's not me. Now that I'm aware of things, now that I know what's going on behind the scenes, guys, now that I'm not just a stupid bimbo, you're mad at me? All right, let's talk about that. Ask me anything. So then she becomes like... See, I like that take because... A change. Because you could look at Eve's decision as... She realized that the happy-go-lucky is just bullshit and that if she ever wanted to be real or to, like, even create real kids or create all that, that's why she did it. And, like, you know, so I love that approach. It's going to be a good time. I'm really excited. And uh, it's, it's me, so it's going to be a fully nude show. But when I eat the apple, I'm going to realize that I'm naked and I'm, I'm going to ha- ask the audience to give me clothes and we'll see how that goes. So I'll be dressed in whatever they give me. And then I'll be like, I'll take off my wig, which is going to be really long, take it off. And then I'll just be like this disgruntled looking homeless person. Right. That's just like, I did nothing. All I wanted to do was be smart. All I wanted to do was know. And now that I know nobody wants me, not even Adam wants me. He better, he wants to fuck a goat more than he wants to fuck me these days. Why? Because I can actually have a conversation like, you know, so it's going to be a good time. Goats don't talk. Goats don't talk. That's, you know, that's how I feel right now. <laughs> they do but bite, though. it's going to be a good time. That's I'm excited. Actually, I like that approach. That's cool. It's going to be good. Where is that at? So this is in a private residence. There's okay. a friend of mine who started a group called Artists Supporting Artists. And right now there is a venue crisis. It is like 
all of these performance artists want to have a space to perform, want to have a space to play, but the venues are charging a thousand dollars a night, which for any group of performance artists is very difficult to come by, especially in the underground scene. So we're we're having a venue crisis. We can't afford the venues. We can't, you know, it's just it's extremely difficult to to produce these kinds of things. So private residences have opened up, and instead of paying a venue $1,000, the ticket sales go directly to whoever is performing or providing the service that night, which is beautiful. So it's this really like, here's an open space, here's a home, come in, provide a service, you get paid all of the tickets, and then if you sustain yourself. If people wanted to get involved in that, how do they reach out for them? That. For that, it's a group on Facebook called Artists Supporting Artists, and it is a limited seat capacity. But if you buy tickets early, then you can show up and get in there and have a good time. Or offer a residence. Or offer a residence. Or a venue. Yep. Okay. Yep, and have and that's kind of what's happening right now is realizing like, oh, we do have the capability to do these things. We do have the capability to sustain ourselves without venues that don't appreciate us treat us like crap and charge us up the, up the ass for what we can't sustain ourselves you can't sustain an artist's community if you're taking all the money and that seems to be affecting a lot of a lot of artists right now yep in salt lake it's a venue crisis it's a it's a studio crisis all of the all of the um every property is just rising exponentially in cost and then we're sitting here wondering what to do yeah, it's a problem. It feels like school when they're trying to out all the the art programs. Same. It feels much like that. It's like, it's not where the money is, so. We want business. Yeah. We want business. And they'll pay, they'll pay lip service to the arts. They'll be like, oh, yes, we support the arts. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, one day a year. One maybe. day a year, <laughs> yeah. You'll support us as long as, you know, you're getting what you want. Exactly. Um, I think we've come. Blue laws. I wanted to cover blue laws a ah. little bit because in my research that that came up quite often and it's mm. sorry, we're in a working kitchen, so you get the sound. You get, get all of the background noise. Yeah. Um blue laws, it's really interesting. So I'm always harping on blue laws. I'm always talking about blue laws outside of the state, inside of the state, to anyone who will listen, I'm just like, blue laws are the bane of my burlesque existence. I want to get naked on stage. Everybody wants me to get naked on stage. Everyone wants everyone else to get naked on stage. What is going on? So I've talked so much about it. I've interviewed so much about it. I've had articles written. I've done all the things. It's exhausting. And uh, uh, another dancer came in from Idaho and was like, hey, so I was looking at blue laws burlesque blue laws and guess whose name is first in the google search i was like oh my fucking god they're like you i'm like oh no i'm that person now i'm officially the burlesque blue law bitch and i've just officially. added on to that I'm right sorry. it's on my no 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 it's good it's good it's not a bad thing we'll it's just like it. hashtag burlesque blue law bitch but like <laughs> mad as on can can but it's hilarious so i'm glad that like my outreach is working. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that people will ask me. I've literally been in situations where I'm like, this is a bar. If you want people in pasties in a bar, these things have to be in place. And if they're not in place, you're going to threaten this venue with shutdown. Do you really want that on your head? No, ma'am. No, you don't. Fix it. And people have literally fixed it, like, instantaneously. Because they know that I mean business. 
there's one person who knows it's me. So it's burlesque, it, burlesque blue eyes are really a pain in the ass. And it's just, it's an attack on the human body, which is again why I do a lot of nude work, not because uh, this, is, this is what really hurts my brain, is people who don't understand that I'm naked for a reason. So you're naked because you want attention. Sure, we all want attention, but that's not why I'm naked. Think a little harder. Think a little harder. Come to my show. Why am I actually naked in Salt Lake City? Why? To get hit on? <laughs> Fuck no. No. <laughs> to, to fucking make a statement yeah. that this is art, the human body needs to be seen, not sexualized, because none of my shows sexualize my body. P.S. End of story. If they came to the shows, maybe they would know that. It's not to sexualize myself. It's not to attract attention. It's to make a statement that what I'm doing in this physical form is necessary and you're interpreting me as a sexual object is wrong and should be unlawful. It's not that I, it, it's all about choice. What's really wrong is not me getting naked. It's that you're trying to control my choice to get naked in front of a group of consenting adults in a theatrical space for a political and artistic reason. That's what's wrong not me getting naked. So let's turn the story around and actually have a conversation about it as opposed to a fear and control-based response from a state who's backwards. So blue laws are incredibly frustrating because it doesn't allow for women to have choice. Oh, men naked on stage? That's all right. That's all right. We've done that before, but oh, we can't have full female nudity. Oh, no, 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 no. That's just too risque. <laughs> I love that. As far as like, because it's so true. And that is the attitude that needs to change. It is. And I'm, I'm the person that's going to do that over and over and over again. What happened uh, with my one person show, I did it in the Fringe Festival. And the first thing I did was I birthed myself out of a giant vagina puppet and I was naked. It's the first thing I did in the first five minutes because everyone's like, oh, she's going to get naked. She's going to get naked. We're ready. Five minutes in. Ha ha. I know this is an hour long show. Now what are we going to go? Where are we going to go from here? You're like, and none of it was sexualized. I got naked. I smiled. I waved. I pointed. I sat down. And then I got dressed. And the rest of the show, I was clothed. And the point wasn't about making it sexualized just like here's the nudity are we done now okay me too yeah me too so now what's the issue right where are we going from here where are we going from the nude body where are we going from this fear of the nude body and what are we actually talking about now that this is out of the way how can we have a conversation which is why an interview with eve is the same way right i come out nude i talk to the audience nude the whole time until i finally get like woke up and then put my clothes on or their clothes on and kind of have this like moment of realization about how angry that makes me. That now I'm aware I'm a sexual object, so therefore I have to cover myself up. And that's another underlying tone in that, in that work as well. Using the shock to educate. Educate, yeah, completely. Because again, breaking people open, right? And not, <clears throat> not with violence, you know, and not with force. They consent to be there, and I, yeah. I warn them, you know, like you're going to see nudity. This is, this is part of it. So they're consenting adults, they come in, they're aware, make them hyper-aware, have them sign waivers, break their minds, and then start the conversation. Because I'm so much more than this body, I'm so much more than this, this thing, because people really want to make you a thing when you're a female, 
they really want to make you a thing and it's it's not it's not the games i play and it's not how i work at all so blue laws are problematic because they don't let me get naked but they're more than that they're restrictive and they're and out of date it's one sided yeah it, and it, it blurs some situations too like you know with alcohol and what's covered and mm-hmm. and it makes everyone confused and everyone scared and everyone could be <coughs> threatened to be arrested and it's just it creates this a uh, society of fear as opposed to celebration and that's why i do festivals where there's not those kinds of laws in place because it's their private events I can do whatever the fuck I want at private events. I can do whatever the fuck I want in the Fringe Festival. I can do whatever the fuck I want as long as I case it correctly in the appropriate place, which doesn't make any sense because I'm still in Utah. (laughs) Utah. Utah. So after my one-person show shut down at the Fringe like it was done, right, Uh, Wasatch Theater Company reached out to me, wanted me to do my show, and then the gateway shut it down and said, we cannot have nudity. And I had literally done my show in the gateway two weeks before. Like, literally had done it two weeks before. And they said no. Same venue. It's in a theater. And they said no. Bonkers. The DABC is bonkers. Crazy. They didn't even see my show. Do you think it... It's a difference of being a festival, let alone, uh, you know, as opposed to it being a event within itself. You know, I don't know. I don't think that I, I know that uh, some of the theater, uh, the, the the board of directors of Watch Hatch Theater Company was kind of split on it. But a lot of them were very upset that nudity couldn't be in the theater because they had done nude shows in that venue, in that place for one off events before. But the issue, I think, was me being a female. That's where I think the crux of their issue was. Yeah. Because tits, man. Oh, my God. The things they do to young boys. I don't know. <laughs> and young girls. Yeah, true. Right? Uh, I'm just processing all this. It's a I'm, lot. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm a lot. <laughs> Hi. My name is Madison Cancan. I'm a lot. Let's start. <laughs> but I like it because I actually think that um, people need to analyze and to pick and to like pick things apart to kind of like, why do we come up with the laws that we do? What creates that? Where is it coming from? And to get a better society. I mean, especially right now, I just feel that, you know, people are just dropping back and going, reversing their, their mindset. And mm. it just seems like, we're going back to the dark ages as opposed to being enlightened. Yeah. And, and so I like challenges that help you pick things apart to get back to why are we making this decision in the first place? I exactly. like that. Same. So. And I think if we can, uh, you know, as an educator, that's a critical eye, right? To not accept reality as it is um, and to always question and to move forward. And that's what I wanted to instill in my students. It was never a matter of, I am teacher, you are student. It was how can we grow and learn together in whatever space we have to grow and learn. I hated my job when it became about standards. I never graded a single piece of work in the public school system ever. I refused. I refused. I drew the line and I said, I will not grade them. That is not who I am and that is not what art is because I was an art teacher. 
Never did. Never graded theater either. Not once. Not ever, not ever. I don't believe in it. So. Because well. every, everybody's opinion's just as good. Right. Everybody's art is uh, just as good. It's valid. You know, your their expression is valid. Yeah. Again, and that goes back to, like, hier- hier- the hierarchy of art, right? Well, you know, we're in the Echoes Theater. Therefore, we finally made it. I'm like, you're not any better than the guy on the street trying to make a buck for his puppetry. You're not any better. In Echoes Theater, you booked a baby shark, you know, a baby shark concert. <laughs> <laughs> D- hey, don't be dissing, baby shark. <laughs> do, 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 do. It's valid. <laughs> <laughs> That's that Thank you. It's totally valid. Baby sharks. What about Paw Patrol? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about <laughs> going, oh, Paw Patrol. Oh, awful. So what does creativity mean to you? There we go. Bonus question time. Yeah. A lot, right? Covered a lot. Creativity is the reason for existing, I believe. I believe. We come from creation right like people fuck and have babies that's creation that's creative energy so if we're not creating something i believe that's the the beginning of madness i believe that if we don't have access to creative energy we literally we will begin to die and it doesn't always look like a physical death it can look like a mental death it can look like our I believe the obsession with zombies came back right at the right time because that's exactly what's happening to people who don't use their creative capacities. The only way that the earth is going to continue to sustain itself is if we creatively, as a collective, come up with ways to be responsible, sustain, and renew. And we can't do that without creativity, without invention. The, when I was leaving the public school system, they were pushing for... Um, STEAM, right? Science, technology, engineering, art, and math. And all of those things are really good things, but the stifling part of the public school system is its desire to withhold, uh, the the desire to keep a standard that is dead. We can't keep going back to a standard that is dead, which means we have got to create something else, something new have different conversations, continue to communicate, continue to devise ways to be innovative. We can't just stay with the old ways that have worked because they're not working anymore. So creativity is literal human survival on a physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual realm. That's what it is. And that's why any kind of creativity is so inspirational because it gets those gears going. And it will literally, and that that gear turning in somebody's mind is an actual awakening. So when they say, "Oh, you inspire me," no, you're waking up, darling. Inspiration. This is you're waking up. You're opening your eyes. And when you open your eyes, then you can see. And once you see, then you can fix. But if you don't see, then you're not aware. And if you're not aware, then you can't fix. And if you can't fix, then we can't grow. And then we die. So, I mean. That's a snowball argument, but creativity is life. I think that's the best I've ever heard that answered. <laughs> wow, that was... It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at a Zong Can Can, I'm a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your favorite Muppet and why? My 
favorite Muppets? Oh, you you specifically <laughs> created that question for me, didn't you? Or do you always ask this question? I always ask this question. Oh, but you're okay. Then you're just one of my people. So I know it's I know it seems like the obvious answer, um, but Kermit, obviously, obviously, he is hilarious. He has anxiety. <laughs> he. But he also has the biggest heart. His, like, his ability to approach the world with love, even when he has so much worry all the time and doesn't know how to fix it but wants to fix it, is really charming. And uh, Jim Henson, it was Jim Henson's favorite and favorite character. And uh, I've, I've read Jim Henson's biography, and it's just... He has this deep connection to that frog, and it's really beautiful. It's a re- relationship we, we should have with everyone, the way Kermit approaches the world. We're all nervous, right? We all don't know, but we can still approach it with love. That's why he's my favorite. That's good. And then the last one, and it, if anybody could play you, I don't know. In the movie of your life, who would you like to play you? If anyone could play <laughs> me, yeah. he's dead. Freddie Mercury, obviously, oh, but... If I had to choose somebody <laughs> to play me in the movie of my life, it's all men. All of it, they're, they're all men, really, which is really bizarre. Um, Freddie Mercury would definitely be up there, and I'm not very good with celebrities. Or Rami Rami Malek played. Yeah, yeah, he would do great. He would do fabulous. Or, yeah. You know, I don't really, I don't really know celebrities uh, like anymore. The people that I pay the closest attention to are like local celebrities, right? Because people get starstruck by Hollywood people. I see someone I've seen in a play, and I'm like, completely beside myself. So, yeah, pretty Mercury. All right. Yeah. Nice. I like it. <laughs> hey, hey, talking. Um, just to end on, like, where can people find you? Yeah, that's a big one. So if you are on the Instagram, I am Madazon underscore can underscore can. There is only one of me. M-A-D-A-Z-O-N will bring me right up. You can also follow me on Facebook, Madazon can can. You can also find me on my website, www.madazoncancan.com. And if anyone can, Madazon can can. I like that. <laughs> Man, keep kicking ass. I'm trying. Yeah. I love you. I love you. Woo, woo, woo. The podcast is done, man. <laughs>